On this episode of the Young Money Podcast, we look at one of the most lucrative and unexpected ways to strike it big today, buying and reselling shoes. Well, it all started with small groups of sneakerheads in the 90s, buying up rare and limited edition shoes, wearing them for a bit and then buying them from each other, essentially. Uh, over the years and with the advent of the internet, shoe reselling ballooned from these sort of humble origins into a multi-million pound industry defined by secret locations, snaking queues round corners and increasingly stretched prices. A single trader, for example, can haul in tens of thousands of pounds in a single transaction at home, on the computer or just on their phone. But just how long can I continue? As both Jeffrey Chaucer and Nelly Furtado realised, all good things must come to an end. How will the community evolve over the next few years? Are prices due for a correction? And what are the risks of having most of your wealth invested in such a volatile commodity? Well, to get to the soul of the matter, we hop on the number 56 bus from the City of London to meet a seasoned sneakerhead and have a look at his collection in his Clerkenwell flat. Then we head back to our studio where we talk money and motivations with a top up-and-coming player in the London market. Without further ado, our conversations with Luke Farrell and Pepe Hitchens. Yeah, if you just come through here, yeah, if you wouldn't mind taking shoes off, yeah, cheers. Thanks very much for having us over to your place, Luke. Um, do you want to tell our listeners a bit more about yourself? So I work for Fidelity, that's my, my day job, um, but by night I, I'm an avid sneakerhead and um, that means I collect trainers, I collect clothing as well, essentially kind of rare products and have been uh, for the last 15 years. That's not something that everyone really does, so how did you get into that? I think it really started when, um, when I was younger, just I think my parents when I wanted the latest trainers they weren't you know I suppose they weren't essentially up for purchasing them for 110 pounds I had to go out and get a job and I think just from that kind of obsession fascination to get things that I wanted um, and to be a bit more kind of I suppose unique at school and just stand out a little bit um, just started kind of buying trainers from America and just kind of small place in Covent Garden um, and then it, I suppose it kind of mushroomed from there I suppose kind of snowballed into a real obsession and that's where I'm you know, 16 years later Just up here on top of my wardrobe is the bulk of my collection. Um, you can see they all look like the same type of box, alias Kanye West. Um, so I kind of bring a pair down. So, for example, these are my favourite ones, actually. Um, known as the Belugas, so my size, UK 10 and a half. Um, so these came out in about, I think, 2016, 2015. Um, and these are what people call dead stock, so completely brand new, right. uh, with the tags, with the receipt as well. The receipt's very important, so that can kind of knock off about 20% of the value if you don't have that, because there's a lot of fakes going around at the moment. Um, but as you see here, completely new with the tags. You know, I love these ones. Um, I, I bought a few pairs because I just, I just love them that much. I always bought kind of one to wear and one to kind of just to keep away, kind of safe in case my other pair gets lost or completely destroyed. So, is that your entire collection, or what are we? Are we standing amidst it? So, I think on top of the wardrobe here, I've got three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen, nineteen pairs up here, which is about uh, half of what I own. Um, but these are kind of again, I've I've categorised it as these are ones I probably kind of will take out, show people, or sell kind of more often than not. I've got other ones tucked away other places, but. Their ones are you know, a bit like kind of the wine cellar. They, they're not being touched for a few years. So um, don't have to worry about those. They're in a dark, dark place, kind of really cool uh, dark place. So yeah, they'll be safe there. If we go back a few years, these ones up here are probably my personal favorites. And actually the ones that are probably the most kind of expensive actually. Um, so these are the 
Nike Air Yeezy 2. They came out, oh, I want to say 2011, 2012, sometime then. Um, and these kind of are, you know, not for the faint hearted, they're completely, they're all red. You know, everything about it is red. The box is red. It's got a boot, it's got a kind of boot bag, a trainer bag that's also red as well. And these kind of, the value of these ones, I've been offered about 2,600 for these. Um, and they, again, I'm not selling these because I missed out on these all those years ago. Um, managed to get them again. So these are kind of what's known as my holy grail. Um, and if you also see the, um, I mean, the value of these ones, again, are 2,600, but that's because these ones are worn once, but they come with everything apart from the, the old box. They've got the lace tips on here. And these things are you know, notoriously kind of easy to fall off. So you've got these incredibly shiny, really quite over the top lace tips are these are these practical or is this all for this particularly market where it's all about flexing and showing off this is off show oh. i mean they they're actually a nightmare to tie up with um <laughs> they don't kind of i mean it's, for example if it's slightly wet your hands are a bit kind of sweaty etc they keep slipping out your hands you know you kind of you, you get into the car it might scratch the kind of sill and you'll cut your car door they're a nightmare but again it's kind of when you're walking you can see the gold from a mile off they're kind of for people that want to show off a little bit and i mean they're, they're all red trainers so looking around, uh, I'm seeing lots of goodies around here. Uh, talk us through what you kind of look for in these products, because to be quite honest, I don't really know much about this myself. So what, what should I be looking for? Um, it's, it's quite difficult for me to say because I I suppose I started off wearing the stuff out of just because I like the look of it. Um, it's now a slightly changed. And I think if you're looking at um, to buy stuff as an investment, um, I think the kind of main thing so supply. So obviously go for things that are, you know, producing far, far smaller quantities. Then they don't want to be on your kind of usual, uh, your local Nike store or the, on the shelf day to day. Um, I think things are also quite unusual. So you get these brands like Nike Adidas that collaborate with kind of smaller brands. I'll, I'll show you guys through some of the examples of that later. But for example, Supreme collaborated with um, an outdoor adventure accessories brand that nobody I suppose nobody that I know has heard of. So things kind of, you get oddities or rarities, so supply. Um, and other things just, I suppose, just knowing what people are after, just kind of, um, I suppose, putting your ear to the street and just listening to what kids are talking about, etc. what the newest trends are. And also, you know, what are celebrities wearing? You know, for example, Kanye West, Kim Kardashian, a lot of these guys are also wearing these kind of latest trendy items. As soon as that happens, they tend to kind of jump in, in, their, um, in their value. These are a four and a half, so um, again, really, really great for Asia. These are the cream ones that came out most recently. You know, great, great for summer. Um, again, kind of white cream. Um, these, these are probably the most kind of made, uh, I suppose, produced ones. Yeah, really, really nice. I mean, Kim Kardashian wear these all the time, right. and I have to thank her for that because every time she wears them, they go up about ten percent in value. So. Uh, if you know Kim, if you're listening to this, you know, thank you very much. And with this secondary market, once once you do buy it from either the source or JD Sports, as you just said, um, where does it go from there? Um, are people holding these for a long time, or are people trying to flip them instantly? What, what's happening? So you have, um, I suppose, kind of almost three or four, I suppose, tiers all the way that people sell these things. So some people will sell it before they even get it in hand, so they'll take a fee up front. Um, so they have no risk when they buy it. So they always take a fee from a seller to say, when I buy these trainers, we've kind of agreed already, I'll, I'll sell it to you for £200 when I walk out the door. Um, so that, so all those people have buyers before going in there. Then you have people that come out the shop and what's happening now, I suppose in the last year or so, you're getting people that stand outside these stores at release day with wads of cash, 
buying people's trainers straight after they walk out the shop. Um, so you get people that sell it there, so they make a quick you know, two, three hundred quid immediately. Um, then you have other people that might go home, take some pictures, put it on the groups, put it on eBay, um, and maybe sell it you know, within a day, a week. And then you have people that really kind of buy um, and hold it for you know, a few months, a few years, if they don't really need, need the cash immediately. And which side of the coin do you fall on then? Because um, I come from this kind of from a, a, you know, I have a real passion wearing this stuff, and sometimes you know I can kind of get a bit obsessed with the latest things. I like to kind of buy and 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 hold and sit on it. So yeah, for me, um, you know, I I typically buy and hold because I really like to um, enjoy the products and you know maybe wear them and maybe sell them on afterwards once. I might be bored or, or maybe you know, it increases in value to a point where I can't justify wearing a pair of trainers that are kind of reselling for a thousand pounds. So I typically hold anything from about a month up to I've got things I've, I've had for 15 years. So it's not just shoes you collect, you have some t-shirts on your table. Yes, yeah, so I've got t-shirts, jumpers, jackets here. Um, so this, this particular jacket here um, came out, I think, in the summer or kind of springtime this year so is this one of the um collaborations you were talking about yeah so this is um so every year supreme do a collaboration with this uh this brand the north face you know fairly well-known brand um and this particular jacket is in i suppose it's to celebrate their transantarctica expedition that the north face sponsored many many years ago so um really really nice but also this is this one actually slightly more practical than the trains i showed you earlier this is gore-tex really really well made so if you kind of just feel the materials there it feels great. I mean, it's a well-made jacket. It's, it's a lovely piece. And, and how much is this worth? So this retailed, I think, at about £418, so quite high because it is Gore-Tex. You know, it's not cheap to make. Um, and anything between, I think, 550 to 650 now. And that's because we're in summer. So as soon as the, the, the winter hits and this becomes more desirable, you'll probably see prices go up to about £800, £900. So, Luke... When has it gone wrong for you? It hasn't gone wrong very often, um, but I've been in this game for a long time, and inevitably it will go wrong at some point. And about when I first got into it 14, 15 years ago, um, I, I was buying into a brand called a bathing ape, Japanese brand. And um, just to show you guys here, I've got a hoodie um, that I actually bought 15 years ago. Um, so this, this hoodie, they made, I believe, one in this size in Europe. I bought it for about 140 pounds on the day, as soon as I walked out the shop. Mm. I was offered two thousand pounds for it, and I said no. Um, so you, you refused. You refused to sell this camouflage purple hoodie for two thousand pounds. Did that feel? Did that feel right? Um, at the time, it did because I was. I wasn't into it for the money. I was into it for, as part of the kind of subculture, and so I would. I, I think my peers would have seen me as someone that was selling out. So I said no. Kept hold of it. Um, and now today, about fifteen years later, it's probably worth about one hundred and forty pounds again. So it's gone right up from. 2000 down to 140 pounds so it's kind of no resale value in this anymore so you're going to hold on to it yeah this one's just sentimental value now this is just it just stays with me it's kind of it's almost a kind of i don't know a word a word of warning and i to remind me that these things can happen so yeah do you know i'll pay you 140 pounds to wear that to the office <laughs> <laughs> might not have a job after that so <laughs> yeah. so uh, these these brands especially supreme and palace seem to be on the up and up um you seem to be selling on a lot of stock here. Do you, do you feel like you're running a risk by holding on to this? Um, have there been any casualties in this space, for example? Um, there, you know, there definitely is an element of risk. I mean, even the kind of financial value of sitting at something you know, on 20, 
maybe £25,000 worth of stock in your flat, I think you can start to think about kind of uh, how do you kind of factor that into your, your home insurance. But um, in terms of the actual value of these items going down, so I, again, I approach it slightly differently. I enjoy having these these items. So an element of me, you know, for me is um, even if they do go down in price, I'm not hit that hard because I actually want to enjoy them. Um, however, in, in saying that, um, I wouldn't, therefore, I wouldn't purchase you know 10 12 15 um i suppose kind of items of the same thing in in you know in in the fear that if that does go down in price and we saw with a recent adidas release where a pair of trainers was reselling for about a thousand pounds um up to anything about 1300 pounds adidas decided to restock it in 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 a, in a, in a high um number of i think fifty thousand pairs worldwide which is a high number for for rare trainers and they plummeted to about where they are now about 350 400 pounds and a lot of people did get stung um, by that. And now we're back in the studio. I'm joined by Daniel Lane, Luke Farrell, and our extra special guest, Pepe Alexander Jesus. Pepe, welcome. Hiya. So tell us about yourself. What is the life of a shoe seller? The life of a shoe seller is a bit mad at the moment. Like, it's gone from 14-year-olds, 12-years-olds, to buying and selling one pair of shoes, two pairs of shoes, to, like, older people, 20, 25, 30, putting all their money into sneakers, selling it, building it up, redoing it again, selling it again, building stock up. And, yeah, it's it's moving forward very quickly compared to what it used to be. And where do you see yourself fitting into that? Because you're, what, you're 18? Yeah, 18. Yeah, cool. So you've been doing it for... Three years now. Wow, cool. I started off as like... I used to say I'd wear them, and then I thought, why am I doing this? I thought, there's money to be made in this. <laughs> so I started off with maybe three pairs of Yeezys, which totaled up to about 1,200 quid. Now I've probably got about 80, 70, which totaled up to about 50, 60 K. So Pepe's talking about some extreme figures there. Look, you've kind of got a foot in both camps because you're, you're a bit of a sneakerhead yourself and you've also got foot in the investment world. You're an investment professional. So where's the crossover here? Is there, is there any parallels to be made? Yeah, I, I think there certainly is. I think if you look at um, the behaviours and just the way that, I suppose, the kind of, for better, better term, shoe resellers, the knowledge in the product, for example, um, you know, Pepe probably can attest to this, but they do research every day. They know their investments or products, you know, like the back of their hand, um, the market as well. So supply and demand of the products, uh, the pricing, um, how these rise and decrease, etc. So um, you know, similar way to investors also uh, might kind of track a fund, etc. and monitor it ongoing and potentially mm-hmm. make, a, I suppose, kind of make a deal off the back of that. You know, there, there are a number of similarities, yeah. So at any point, have you thought about traditional stock market investing or things the things that we kind of do is it has it been something that you've kind of thought about no i've ne- i've never thought about it because i left school at 15 16 mm-hmm. and my dad owns a car business and i went to work for him and learned how to really do business in the like the yeah. like the big boy world yeah, fair so enough. that's I mean, what i thought yeah so i mean for i mean looking cameron what sort of i mean there's a lot of guys in pepe's position probably not as successful mm-hmm. as you there's a lot of people here maybe completely unfamiliar with the investment world, some things that they can get started on, what do, what do you think they would be? What's, what's kind of a good way to start? 
Well, I think obviously Pepe doesn't look like he's over the age of 40. So something like the lifetime ISO or just getting an ISO is just something that, you know, if you do think about, um, I suppose, selling, you said you sold 60 pairs, 70 pairs over the last 24 hours and you made a substantial amount of money off that. Um, holding it in a tax-free account, for example, is some, something that you could benefit from. And also, if you look at kind of more longer-term uh, longer plan or goals, so 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, I think like things like fashion trends can change quite quickly. Yeah. So you think about in five years' time, you know, who's to say that Yeezys might not be sitting on every shelf in Adidas store and therefore the resale market dead? So how do you protect yourself against that long-term? You can look at, you know, having something like ISA and investing in something like a fund yeah. where... You know, I suppose on an index or something uh, mm-hmm. similar, you can look at how does that obviously uh, five, ten years, fifteen years help grow to achieve one of your goals. Yeah, I think for me, the main lessons I can take from this market are um, know your product back to front. I think we've said that a few yep. times now. Um, know your product back to front. Um, spot value, mm. you know, spot where something is undervalued. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is going for our market as well. You know, spot something when it's un- undervalued. Um, pay attention to the risks. I mean, I, I think you do that very well, actually. Um, set your goals. You said that you're not going to do this forever. Set your goals. Don't get greedy. Once you hit your goals, you know, recognize that. And that was our conversation with Luke Farrell and Pepe Alexander Jesus, two astonishingly successful sneakerheads, uh, one of whom also has a foot in the investment world. So it was a great chat, not only about this new industry, about, about which I knew very little before this conversation, but also how we can draw the parallels between shoe reselling and the world of traditional investing and financial markets. Dan, I guess what struck me the most about, about Pepe and the industry was how much profit potential is in there, um, and, and you'll go into the risks uh, inherent in, in that choice, but also how Pepe really got into this industry because of the profit potential. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think what we expected was a real aficionado here. Yeah. And that's maybe what he was before. But I think what he expressed, he's certainly a businessman. Yeah, and an exactly. incre- incredibly successful one at 18 years yeah. old. I mean, that's, that's just phenomenal. Where I see Pepe going next would be to, I mean, it, this is what we would tell all of our kind of new investors. I'm not going to say young because you can be new at any stage. Set your goals out. Mm-hmm. Get, you, get what risk you're ready to take ready. Don't try and time the market just really you know, drip feeding that every month. And I think that's where these tax efficient accounts come in. Mm-hmm. It's not maybe the, you know, the poster board that you'll read about, but these ISA and pension investments, it's really where you want to start. You know, making sure that you've given yourself the safety net for surprises, you know, like car repairs or whatever, before you even think about getting into an industry or investing. I think that's really important. One thing that we, we picked up on there, I thought was, was a really key point, was the fact that we haven't seen a clear bust in this market. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all seen trends and fads. In our world, we can reference things like the dot-com bubble, and uh, the biotech fad we recently saw even as well. And, and there's a risk of no income in this asset class. So yeah. it would be interesting to see what happens in this market when something like that happens. I'm not going to say if, I'm going to say when. But I'm blown away by how successful Pepe is and by how much he knows his product, which is so important in whatever investing you're doing. And I think these things don't necessarily need to be mutually exclusive. Shoe reselling on the one hand and investing yeah, uh, right. for your retirement on the other. They can coexist at the same time. And that wraps up our conversation. Listen to our other episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes by searching for Fidelity Early Careers. Read some of the articles that we've written on the Markets and Insights section of fidelity.co.uk. And also, most importantly, stay tuned for our next conversation about technology in the investment industry, fintech, cybersecurity, and more. 
Thanks for joining and uh, hopefully catch you next time. Please be aware that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may not get back what you invest. This information does not constitute investment advice and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision, nor should it be treated as a recommendation for any investment. Reference to specific securities or funds should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities or funds, and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Fidelity Personal Investing does not give personal recommendations. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to an authorized financial advisor. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. It is meant for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. Issued by Financial Administration Services Limited, authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority. Fidelity, Fidelity International, and the Fidelity International logo and S symbol are trademarks of Phil Limited. When investing in overseas markets, changes in currency exchange rates may affect the value of your investment. Eligibility to invest in an ISA or pension and the value of tax savings depends on personal circumstances and all tax rules may change. The Select 50 is not a recommendation to buy or sell a fund.